Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast hosted by Corey and Shauna Burris. They are a former pastor, a college teacher, and Pacific Northwest coffee lovers. Mostly, they are Jesus followers who find themselves in lots of interesting conversations with non-Christians, former Christians, wondering Christians, and young adults from all kinds of backgrounds. And we want to invite you into those conversations. The Bread and Cup podcast is a place for real talk about the Bible, life, and what it takes to move beyond the easy answers. So let's grab a cup and join the conversation. Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Shauna. Today... She's back! <laughs> Woo-woo, I'm back. Um, it's good to be back in the U.S. Uh, today we are eating hobbit and um, drinking soft because that's what I brought back. And it's delicious. And I'm not eating upol, I can't say it correctly, because but it's gross. But Duolingo is helping. It is and not I, gross. Shame on you. It's dry and it's gross. You know what? If I would have known that before I married mm-hmm. you, that could have been a deal breaker. But Sounds like we've taken fickle. vows, so <laughs> I guess we'll make it work. Appreciate that. Yeah. So. so, you know, whether or not you love or you hate it is a great segue into what we're going to be talking about today. Because the question is, is there room in the gospel for an us versus them mentality? Yeah, and I think this is an interesting time to be talking about this. Um, thus why we added it as a topic. <laughs> because um, the idea of us versus them is something that, first of all, I think a lot of times we find if in, in a lot of ways, it validates where we stand. Totally. Right? Like we love adversaries. We love to think yeah. that people on the other side are right. um, are evil and their intentions are not are not for good. Yeah. And it's easy to villainize us. I actually your and our some of our favorite movies. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're we are sort of very basic middle class people, right? So we love Star Wars. It's a given. And um, that's a very, you know, as much as it tries to like bring balance to the force and all of that, at the end of the day, there are the good guys and the bad guys, right? Yeah. And and people tend to push back against uh, things that where the bad guy is not clear or has... Yeah. Op- optional motive. So like I do a lot of storytelling in my job and because of marketing totally. and communications and some yep. of those things. And a lot of what we talk about is your, your hero, you need to really help your hero look a certain way and you need to mm. make clear the enemy of your hero. Sure. So to speak. Um, and, uh, but people, people don't like it when your hero actually isn't totally evil. And I, I'm going to bring up a nerdy thing cause I'm playing through a video game right now called the last of us two. Yeah. And um, it, I, I will not spoil it for people that have not finished it, but essentially you play as a, as a character. Yep. And then at a certain point you, but at different times you also play as what you, the person that you're seeking vengeance on. Wow. And so you see par- you see moments through different lenses. Oh, you get the same moment through two different perspectives. Right. And you realize, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it, it's asking a question sure. that, that we don't need to discuss here, but like it's asking a question of whether or not, um, that when we seek to, you know, view one side as one way, maybe their motives are different than what they currently are, than what yeah. you perceive them to be. And maybe your actions become un. You think you're the good guy, but are you actually the good guy? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, so 
Sorry, it's a little off track, but I, but I think But that... interesting nonetheless, right? And it, I think it speaks to the cultural aspect of how the Christian church um, and how some of the language that we hear, at least in the modern Christian church, picks up this us versus them. I, I, honestly, let's, let's truly view, though, it hasn't always just been the modern Christian church. Like, no. Let's acknowledge the Crusades, right? There was a clear us versus them in that historical aspect of at least the organized Christian religion. Well, and I would argue that even the original church struggled with it. And throughout the Bible, there were people in the Bible that struggled with an us versus them. You look at um, uh, Jonah, right? He viewed the people that God was asking him to go and serve as them, Right. Oh yeah. And, I mean, they were, and, and he did not want grace for them. Right? He did not want what what was being asked of yep. them. So, spoiler alert: if you think Jonah's a story about a big fish, it's not. No. No. So, we're gonna leave that there. <laughs> we can come back to it another time. Okay. Or direct them, direct all of y'all to somebody much smarter than we are about it. But it is. It's about this. Um, it's about nationalism, and it's about. Um, the inability for um, Jonah, who is called to be a prophet, right, which is the voice of God in in the Old Testament, um, sort of his own nationalistic views, his own anger and hate getting in the way of um, what God wanted to do. And that is actually at the heart of what we are trying to talk about today, which is the difference um, between love versus hate. And are those actually opposites? And um, what, what it, how does that fit with the idea of what we've been talking about um, with the concept of the gospel and um, what we need to do as a community of Christians um, going all the way back to sort of our response to um, some of the Black Lives Matter things. So it's, it, I think that it is fairly easy within the church for people to say, well, we don't hate anyone, right? Like God calls us to love and, and we love and we, we don't hate people. We don't hate people that are different than us, or we don't hate people that aren't in our church. Or, I mean, there are clearly some, um, organized institutions that have very clear hate language. Um, but I think most Christians would say, well, that's not representative of right. a Christian worldview. We right? love everyone. We'd, yeah, we're called to love. Um, but that's but hate isn't really the opposite of love, right? And and so when you hear churches say things or you hear Christian, you know, modern Christians say things like, well, we don't hate anyone because we're called to love everyone. Are they accomplishing that? Is it really loving to simply not hate? Yeah, and I think I think that that is something that we don't wrestle through enough in terms no. of of how do we view the person on the other side, right? And and again, I'm, I maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, so mm-hmm. I I apologize, but like um, the the, the stuff about like Black Lives Matter happening sure. right now. This was this is not a discussion about um, over racism or about hating people yeah. based off of the color of their skin. That is seen very. That's easy to identify as yep. an issue. Yep. 
it's really hard to identify as an issue when you are, I will use the word that what I believe is the opposite of love, which is when you're apathetic. Yeah. When it happens in the midst of what you're doing and you just don't care enough to actually do anything about it. Yeah. Um, and to quote the brilliant Christian lyricist DC talk, love is a verb. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and, um, a great example of this is when you look at, um, like, you know, we work within foster care and we see a lot of kids come through the foster care system. We do. And we see a lot of kids coming from positions of where their parents, maybe you would say hated them, but they, they abused them or they did something along those lines. And that's a terrible situation. Nobody would wants that for anyone. Right. Of course not. But, but in, in a lot of ways, an almost worse position is when a kid is forgotten. Yeah. And when they are not seen in the midst of them being present. Yeah. Both physically and emotionally and, yeah. and whatnot. And what's interesting, that's a, man, that's a great example. And I had, was having this discussion just this last week um, about the idea of foster care. I had a family member ask me, um, so sort of give me an idea of what some of these stories look like um, for the kids that come through your home, because we have sort of a unique role. And so we have a higher number of kids coming through our home. And this family member had a very sort of Hollywoody version of what a, a foster care looks like, right? That the children are um, overtly harmed. They are, um, you know, they're sort of these big evil parents that are, you know, gleefully inflicting harm upon their children. And then the state comes in and rescues these little ones. And I said, certainly that happens, but that actually, at least for the kids that are coming through our home, more often, it's simply that the parents are completely unaware that the parents are more um, taken up. They have more affection for the parents' needs or the parents' addiction uh, than they have awareness for their children. And so the cost is that the children are neglected, they are forgotten, they are put in harm's way, or they are directly harmed um, because their parents simply are not aware of them. They are apathetic of their children's needs. And that type of abuse um, is, I think, far more pervasive than the sort of Hollywoody version of kids getting you know, sort of these violent outbursts. It's just this apathy towards the needs of the child, typically because the parent has um, a need that supersedes the child's need. Right. Because I think that, like, what you're saying is I think that hate, hate involves some amount of emotional investment. Yeah. Right. And these parents don't hate their children. Right. They just don't love them more than they love whatever other need is in front of them. Right. And that could be um, the affection of an abusive partner. It could be an addiction. It could be a mental illness. It isn't always something that the parent has as much control over is that, you know, when we sit in our safe privilege, you know, we would say, well, why don't you get help for that? Well, 
for lots of systemic reasons. Right. Yeah. But it becomes apathy that, that the need, the selfish need, um, whatever the driver is, weighs heavier than the child's need. And, and so in apathy, the child faces enormous harm, enormous yeah. harm. Yeah. And the same happens in our church, right? In our apathy. Right. When we forget our communities. Yeah. And I think a better way to say that is what you just said there, which is communities. When we um, ignore entire communities or we, or we set them aside yeah. and say, well, they're not our, they're not our demographic yeah. <laughs> or they're not who we're going after. Yeah. Um, um, we are, we are doing what I would say is opposed to what Christ has called us to, yeah. which is to actually engage in the things that are uncomfortable, yeah. which may pull out in us ugly emotions like hate yeah. or, 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 but, or but, shame or shame or other things, yep. but actually in effect is a much better thing than forgetting that somebody isn't doesn't exist or just not caring enough to want to engage with those people. Yeah, absolutely. So that I think the apathy is so it's so damaging and and you know in in some ways the the current pushback and the becoming accepted pushback uh is highlighting the fact that there was an enormous amount of apathy um, within our church. And I'm going to read a quote from Dallas Willard in The Spirit of the Disciplines. I, I apologize in advance. The next three episodes are a run of series. And I think you're going to hear um, maybe a frustrating amount of Dallas Willard quotes. Um, but he speaks to it so eloquently, I'm not going to try to bother um, to put it in my own words. And so on page 165, he says, a major problem for Christian evangelism is not getting people to talk. Uh, and just a small aside, it's in the context of getting people to talk about their faith or, or right. you know, talk about church. But to silence those who through their continuous chatter reveal a loveless heart devoid of confidence in God. And I think... Oh, the first time I read that, I had to sort of just stop and and take a breath um, and then breathe out a repentance for that. That just in their in their continuous chatter, this loveless heart devoid of confidence in God. And that really becomes the pivot point, I think, for this conversation. That when we are talking about love versus apathy, right? Again, it's not love versus hate. Because love is action-based and apathy is a lack of action. But that where this pivots in terms of a biblical view or a genuinely gospel view, not an organized Christian view, but a genuinely gospel view, is that when you have confidence in, in who God says you are and who God is calling you to be, right? You're an image bearer who's called to participate in this gospel message, the good news of the kingdom. Love is the, is the absolute natural outcropping. Mm. It, you, you cannot help but react in love in this. And 
And so if you want a citation for that, I'm going to give you 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and we rely on the love of God, that the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Right? That, that you cannot, you cannot seek to close that proximity as I talk about it. You cannot seek for Christiformity as we've talked about a couple episodes ago and fail to begin to participate in love. Yeah. It is what happens. Um, I think it's important now maybe to define what biblical love looks like um, because we're, when, when, you know, in First John, when it says that God is love and that then whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them, what in the heck does that mean? Because if it's action-based, what does it look like to love people? Do you have to go be Mother Teresa? Right. Who, you know, we will openly admit, even struggled with her own version of faith after a time. She lived deeply in love, um, but, you know, struggled internally with what it looked like um, to remain religious in in the time and the place that she was. Yeah. Um, and the reason that the action of love is so important, I remember having uh, this discussion and we had this, uh, this doctor come in and he was talking about the, the brain psychology of how we make decisions. Yeah. And how we connect to the decisions that we make. Yeah. And he, he said, a lot of people think that you, because we were talking about it from a communication standpoint, a lot of people think that you see a term on a pamphlet or an image sure. and you make an emotional connection and then you take an action or, and because of that emotional connection, you take an action okay, based off of this, this preconceived um, connection in your brain that happens. Okay. So you're, you're making, you're making some sort of correlation between this image and an emotion. Yeah. And, and then the then, image, it's almost Pavlovian, right? Yeah. I see this, I, Input A equals right. output B. And he said, okay. what's strange is actually what happens in the brain is that those things happen in what would outside of uh, what we're thinking about. Okay. And the, the way that the brain, the brain doesn't make the connection until we take an action. So getting someone mm. to take an action, in this case, showing love or being loving actually creates a connection that allows us to be emotionally invested in the action that we took. Mm. So it's the opposite of what we typically think, which right. is like, I'm emotionally deciding this now I'm going to, and it, and it compels me to action. Yeah. The opposite actually is true. When we act loving in this case, sure. Then it makes an, it makes a connection that allows us to have an emotional connection to that action. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah. That does make sense. Certainly we see that in parenting, right? Like yeah. we are, we are, here is this child and we are now signed up to take care of them and there's no piecing out on it. So <laughs> we, we will change the diaper. We will rock them despite, especially in the early days, just abject exhaustion and fatigue and, you know, growing waistlines and whatnot that, that in the act of providing care, we built a deeper connection. And they certainly use that within the foster care system too, right? This heavy premium that the courts place on um, parental visits. Yeah. Right? Even when sometimes we're in the background going, 
this is nonsense. Do not send that child there. Right. But they need that, that act of, of committing some act of care, even if it's just within an hour or two, helps improve that bond and, and absolutely has been proven um, to increase the likelihood. It gets the snowball going, so to speak, right? The emotional the rolling, yeah. The emotional snowball starts happening and you're yep. like, oh, then the next action becomes a lot easier yep. and then it strengthens the bonds of that emotional connection yep. to whatever you're asking people to do. And I think that links back to the idea of Christian discipline, right? That you you don't close that proximity. You don't reach Christoformity simply by saying some magic prayer and then like showing up every once in a while on a Sunday. It's it's an investment in this relationship that then produces fruit. So you're taking and you have to take regular action, just like we take regular action with our kids or our friends, right? We choose to take regular action. Today you went and met a friend for for beers and just how are you doing? You took a concerted action to strengthen that relationship. Right. Yeah. And so that is love is the idea of um taking action um, within this. And so what sorts of actions does the Bible suggest we take to act in a loving way? Yeah. Um, well, Ephesians 4, 2 says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Um, I love the concept of understanding what love is lived out through the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Um, which is love, joy, peace, patience, and I know love is Goodness, one of them. Kindness. No, no, I know. I was okay. just, I was, I was going back to say, I, I remember them, <laughs> but, but like the idea that like love, I know is listed as one of them, but the other elements of it actually feed into what being loving yeah. and, and loving looks like, yeah. right? When you are humble, when you are patient, when you are kind, when you show gentleness and self-control, yeah. those all lead back into love. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the classic um, love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, lists those same things. Love is patient. It's kind. does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrong. And I think what's interesting about that list is that it's very outward focused, right? Those are being patient is difficult if you're self-centered. Being kind is difficult if you're self-centered. Um, of course, if you're self-centered, you're going to be boastful and proud. Um, you're going to dishonor others because you think highly of yourself in comparison to others. And to be clear, I don't mean that you should think less of yourself. The Bible is very clear what your value is, but there's a difference in standing in the value that we have been given as humans and as image bearers and in using a self-focused valuation of I am, I am great because I fill in the blank and that the others are not great because they have not right. same fill in or maybe different fill in, right? It's that, it's the comparison valuation and there's very little room for that type of comparison um, in a biblical view of what love means. And it also doesn't mean just squishy good feelings for everybody all the time. These yeah. are very clear actions, right? To love someone is to seek their well-being. It's to be patient with them as they grow. It's 
to be honoring. Yeah, and I think that I think a lot of times people equate like you're saying they they equate love with this emotional element to yeah. it. And and I again, like you said, DC talk, love is a verb. And it's true because we um we oftentimes do things and don't feel them. Yeah. And then we feel guilt about that. Yeah. Right? Like we do the right thing, like, and we're like, I don't really want to do that. Yeah. But the, the Bible doesn't, you know, when we talk about the different versions of love in the Bible and right. agape love, which is what we're talking about, it is wholly an actionable thing. Yeah. And it just says act loving. Yeah. It's just saying be a certain way, act a certain way. Yeah. You may not feel back the way that you act out. Yeah. And we have this discussion with our, our kids oftentimes because, um, you know, we have teenagers and mm. um, there's a lot of emotion mm. and they don't want to act loving. No. But we aren't acting, we aren't asking them to be emotionally invested in their actions. <laughs> and what, like we were talking about before, your actions or your emotions will come out of your actions. Right. As you do these things, then then after that comes that emotional love, that right. that affection, if you will, comes out of acting in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's exactly how we talk about it with them. Yeah. Sometimes a little more bluntly. I don't care if you want to. And you don't even have to like it. You just need to go ahead and do this right now. Right. You are going to be kind, but they're dumb and I hate them. Yes. That's fine. You're still going to be kind. Right now, I hate you too. <laughs> no, we <laughs> never say that. Oh, man, you better edit that out. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> oh, man. It is. It but, but it comes back to, again, what we were talking about, <laughs> even at the very, very beginning in terms of we love to find stories of good versus evil yep. and love versus hate. Yeah. Um, but ultimately... If we understand that love is an action, yep, then we understand that that's actually not the battle that's happening, right? And that your emotions don't control whether or not you're being loving. Yeah, you control whether or not you're being loving. Yep, and that your emotions may or may not follow, but that's inconsequential. Yeah, and so that doesn't make for a great story, by the way, to like no. write. I mean, I get that, like this does not make for great stories out there, but but I always hear people going, "Well, I don't feel like this doing yeah. this." The Bible doesn't really care about what you feel like. I mean, there's no point. I mean, it does. Like, but, well, it does, I mean? but, but in like, the but in the concept of its instruction. For us, those of us who claim to be Christians, right. all the rest of you can do whatever you like because the Bible isn't your guidebook right. in that case. But if you're claiming to be a Christian, then the Bible instructs you to act in love, to yeah. be loving, to participate in love. And you don't even have to cognitively get it, if yeah. you will. You don't even have to understand it, but you still must do it. Yeah. Um, and again, I, it sounds like I'm talking to our teenage kids. Yeah. But... But the fact of the matter is, is the same, same way that, that God speaks to us is he's just saying, just love people. Yeah. Like just care. Yeah. Just Don't be apathetic yeah. to the plight of the people around you. Don't be apathetic to the struggle of your neighbor. Don't be apathetic to the struggle of the culture that you exist next to. 
right? Because there's demi-cultures within our greater American or Western culture. Don't be apathetic to the experience of people that is different than yours. And even if... Act in love. And even if they're doing an action which... And this is this is a little something that I learned. I used to always justify maybe not approaching somebody from a loving manner mm. based off of where they were. Oh. Right? Like, I'd be like, well, you made the decisions to put yourself into mm. that situation. Yeah. So, therefore, uh. not my responsibility so it's i'm a very not american individualistic yeah. perspective and and there's there are i'm not to i think individualism has some great aspects to it sure but but in this case it was well you 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 painted yourself into the corner you can just stay there type of a situation yeah. and that is not what god has asked us to do he yeah. says we must act because we are supposed to act this is yeah. what a Christian is. This is the way we are supposed to be. Yep. And that person having put themselves in that situation is actually inconsequential to whether or not I see value in who they are. And yeah. that's the lens by which I want you to see. Right. Them. And that doesn't mean that enabling is loving, right? Of course. So not. loving well, that's is where also this balance thing right? happens. Because right? loving is also treating humans with full value as if they have agency, as if they have intelligence. Yeah. So rescuing and talking down and being um, paternalistic in your approach, those are not loving actions either. Um, codependency is not a loving action. And so it's love begins with the concept that the person on the other side of it holds equal standing with you. Yeah. And that's a pretty important distinction. Um, we are, this conversation then lends to the natural question of, well, what about the other kind of love? If we're, if we're called to love, then what about like being in love? Yeah. And how does the, the Western notion of romantic love play into this biblical mandate of love one another? Um, and sort of you've you sort of began to touch on that with sort of um, some of the Western individualistic historical traditions, but let's save that for next week's episode, huh? Yes. Okay. So it's a great conversation. It is. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts and perspectives. Uh, you know, you can find us and join the conversation at bread and cup podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. Of course, you can find us at breadandcuppodcast.com and please subscribe, like. Sign up, sign up for our newsletter. Oh, we're going to start doing a newsletter, huh? Yes. Sounds great. I'm going to get on that. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love to send you some information. Wow, wow that was Just bad, huh? I'm yeah. keeping it in. That's okay. Well, there it is. In any case, um, please subscribe, like, follow, share, um, leave us a review. It really helps um, get the word out. And we can't wait to talk to you next week about love is the greatest of these, romantic love and the biblical ideal. To join the conversation, like and subscribe, then find us on Instagram at Bread and Cup Podcast. You can also find us at our website and other social platforms linked in the show notes. Mm -hmm.